Hi there. I'm Eric Wordweaver Shervin, goalie of the Ridgar Folk here in East Texas, and I'd like to welcome you to The Raven's Call. This is a show where I ramble on about different heathen-related subjects, just kind of whatever strikes my fancy, sets my mind on fire at the time. Big UPG warning at the beginning of this, like always. Uh, this is just the view of this one heathen, this one goatee here in East Texas. Uh, I am not by any means the end-all be-all authority on anything. Um, I, I very much appreciate all of the positivity that you guys throw my way, and I love that you guys enjoy the channel and what we throw out. Uh, but take it with a grain of salt. These are just conversation starters, maybe a chance to think about things from a different point of view. And uh, they're, they're more conversation pieces than they are anything else. So thank you all. Please keep writing in with your recommendations and your questions. I have a couple that came up after the last video. Uh, today's video is actually based on one. And picking a title for this one is going to be kind of difficult because it's a rather pointed and specific question. Uh, but that's okay. I'll figure it out. You guys will have already seen it because it'll be on the splash card. Wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Anyway. <laughs> So if you want an update for the D&D campaign and everything that's going on, then stick around for the cutting room floor. That was actually like 12 minutes worth of content right there. So uh, without any further ado, all of my contact information is down below. You guys know the drill. Link from my book is there if you're interested in it. Yes, I do have an idea for a second book that I'm going to work on. I've pitched some ideas to my tribe, and they really liked what I had. Uh, so I'm hoping that over the coming year I will be able to throw this together. It will not be a quick process because I am I, I don't have the time at the moment to pour into writing, but uh, I will start stealing some some time to do that here in the near future because I'm feeling the itch again. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of excited about this particular project and I'm looking forward to sharing it out with you guys. Uh, so I will work on that and update you with publication information when it gets a little closer. You may not hear much more about it for a while because I'm going to wait until I actually have something to talk about before I talk about it. Anyway, on to today's subject. Today's subject comes from a write-in, uh, a question that was emailed to me, and I felt like this would make a good video because there's a number of people that are in similar situations. Uh, when you guys write in, sometimes I will reply directly if it's just a simple question that needs a quick quick addressing, or I will go through and uh, I will make a video if I think it's something that's applicable to the viewer base as a whole, and that is the case with today's. Before I jump into that real quick though, uh, I do get a number of requests from individuals because I am a Gothi and I am on the internet and everybody sees me and, and, and acknowledges, hey, there's this guy and he's, you know, we like him and stuff. Um, I get a number of requests for people that want me to come and do weddings. Um, that is something that I really don't do outside of my own Ingarth. Um, tying weird on that level is pretty heavy. Um, that's not something that, it's not a service that I provide, as it were. Um, so while I appreciate it and really am honored by the people that reach out and say, hey, uh, would you come and do our wedding and everything? We'll pay for your travel and whatnot. I, I greatly appreciate that. I'm touched. I, I'm, I'm honored uh, that you would think of me in, in, a, in, in a situation like this. But uh, with everything that I've got going on right now, I can't dedicate the time to it. And from a spiritual, metaphysical side of things, um, I'm, I don't step out and do that for people outside of my, my community. I try to keep that within my community because these are people with whom I share frith already and I don't want to dilute that or uh, take risks on other, tying to other circles that I may not actually want to tie to and I have no way of knowing. Uh, so just as a, as a rule guys, I'm not going to be uh, accepting 
requests to come and do weddings, although I am greatly touched by them, and it is uh, very meaningful to me that you do uh, want that. So thank you very much, very, very much. Thank you. Uh, but I do apologize. It's just one of those things that that's my stance on it, and I can't I wouldn't be able to tack on the extra stuff right now anyway. I'm pretty jam-packed as it is. <laughs> I barely have time for home these days. So let's jump into the subject, all right? Today's is a write-in from Nicole. And Nicole says that uh, she lives up in Nova Scotia, and it's a very Catholic-heavy area. And she's got a very small inn in Garth, about three people. And I'm, she doesn't specify, but I'm going to assume that this is the semblance of what her tribe or kindred would be. Um, she doesn't say whether or not that's just family or if there are other heathens in the area with whom she's kind of tied as a group. Um, either way, it, it, it's immaterial to the overall thing. And uh, she's been looking to try and get things going up there. There's not very many grassroots heathens. It's a very insular kind of uh, very Catholic-driven society up there. And uh, I completely get it. I understand. We'll get to that here in a second. Uh, one of the things that I find interesting in all this, she says that she's an early childhood educator and that uh, in this society up there, which is, there's not a lot of diversity, uh, the kids in her, her group are showing an interest in her hammer necklace and uh, have been kind of asking questions and, and looking into that. And that's, that's really kind of cool. So uh, I'm going to touch on that here real quick, and then we will jump into uh, how a newbie heathen in area can kind of set things up and, and make some progress there. I'm going to set the old iPad down real quick so that I can more freely move. So one, um, the cool thing about the whole the kids recognizing the necklace, I was an administrator for a boys' home for a long time. You guys know if you followed the channel, uh, I'm no longer doing that, but I was for a long time. And the kids would do that. They would come and show interest in my necklace. They would show interest in my uh, my viewpoints and my religion because I, I wasn't closeted. I mean, everybody knew that I was heathen and uh, knew my approach to things and knew that. Uh, I at least knew that I wasn't Christian. Those that bothered to ask got the full story, but I didn't put it out there, I didn't broadcast, I just simply wasn't secretive about it. Um, I had the luxury of uh, building good, strong Gifrain in my area and establishing my name uh, before people kind of caught on and realized. So they saw me for the worth of my deeds and actions and then started to ask questions about me as a person. Not everybody has this availability because a lot of people will make snap judgments uh, before they get to know you. And I think that's kind of what she's running into in that particular area. Um, what I would say with regards to the kids showing interest in the necklace, and this is going to be true for anybody in an education standpoint, a caretaker standpoint, you've got to be careful when you talk to young ones especially about uh, other religions and things like that because you've got to honor the culture of their home. You need to respect where they're coming from. And it can actually cause you a great deal of trouble if you're seen as proselytizing for another religion, trying to convert these children into heathenry or something like that, even though that may not be at all what you're trying to do. So what I try to do is spark an interest in the kids from a literary standpoint. I try to get them interested in the, like the Norse mythology and things like that, because it's something that uh, appeals to the fantastic. Uh, our mythology is rife with just some absolutely uh, incredible fantasy type 
elements because a lot of things in modern fantasy were pulled from Norse mythology. Everything from elves and dwarves and gnomes. Um, a lot of this comes from Northern European folklore and from our our, cosmo, our cosmos, as it were. Anyway, it's a really cool way to introduce them into these things and let them start seeking for themselves. Let them, let them start figuring out the world around them uh, without being pushy in any way, shape, form, or fashion. I don't talk to them about the religion side of things unless they are older like teenagers that are specifically asking about that and then I simply answer their questions I don't offer up extra information I don't uh, I don't I, I don't do anything that could be perceived as pushing I let them come to me and when they ask me a pointed question I answer the question uh, and I just answer truthfully and as simply as possible uh, without getting too deep into weird and overlog and the more complex things that are one going to turn them off to it or two be seen as pushing my particular ideology. I try to be as respectful as possible of where they're coming from and simply go from an education standpoint of this is what this thing is. Uh, I don't try to extol the virtues of it or anything like that. But I'm also that way with pretty much everybody. Uh, anybody that asks me, adult or child, I will be educator first and then I will let them make their decisions. And if they decide that this is something that interests them, they will come back and ask me more questions, at which point I will take their lead and will fill in the gaps as it goes along. Educate them in the way that is... Uh, <clears throat> that is appropriate for them if they are so interested. So it's a matter of respect, uh, and it, it goes a long way for putting a good face forward for you and yours and how you deal with things, especially if uh, you seem less less threatening to uh, non-heathens if you're not pushy. Uh, one thing that i found with people in general when a religion or folkway is very pushy with their ways or overly enthusiastic in conversation about it, uh, it can be off-putting to them. It can be unsettling and it can be kind of threatening. So I try to take a more pulled back approach. I mean, this is my thing. It doesn't make any difference to me whatsoever if these individuals convert to heathenry or if they don't. Um, if they're not part of my in and god in the first place, then I really don't have any vested interest in whether or not they find their way to heathenry. But I'm not going to stand in their way either. I'm not going to be some gatekeeper who's like, no, heathenry is not for you, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to educate, and then I will assist as they come along if they seek me out for it. But I'm going to respect their autonomy and let them do them. You know, their hall, their call. Not my hall, not my call. You guys know my approach on that. So, when it comes to finding grassroots heathens in an area where uh, it is predominantly uh, populated by a specific non-heathen demographic, that's pretty much everywhere. Uh, one of the things, like she mentioned that it was heavily Catholic up in that area, and I know the approach of Catholics and their, their approach to their religion and their, their ways and their traditions, and they can be very, very staunch about things, very, very staunch about things depending on the individuals and their particular hearth culture because uh, they have hearth culture too they just don't call it that the easiest thing that i can say for this is the same thing that i say in every situation focus on hearth first you cannot force community community cannot be uh, just instantly grown it has to be 
cultivate it over time and it will grow organically this is not one of those things where you plant a garden and then you reap the uh, reap the benefits of this bounty later on it's foraging in the wild this is learning the organic growth of an area and working with it from there and I've done other videos on this in the past you guys have seen uh, where I will say hey don't rush it the number one thing that you can do is slow down uh, focus on hearth and home first that is first and foremost my experience has been if you strengthen hearth and home if you strengthen your own practices within heathenry then what you will end up with is people will come to you people will seek you out and that's where that's where community grows that's how it how it develops there are a number of like pagan pride days and things like that are a great way to kind of mix and mingle if you're just looking to make some connections with other people from different walks of life the number of heathens there are going to be a small proportion of of the population just simply because it those kind of things are going to be general neo-pagan mostly um, so there's going to be a lot more people that don't share your worldview than do but there may be a few that do um, as your comfort level increases you can increase your visibility as a group as a hearth as an individual and that's kind of what we did here um, I built my Inngarth and my my hearth cult practices and then I started up with the assistance of uh, Mike our previous chieftain uh, that East Texas heathens and then just kind of made ourselves available and people came and sought us out and I've gotten a couple of members from my tribe from East Texas heathens I've got a lot of good friends and community that have come out of it and my community is largely non-heathen. Um, there are some heathens amongst it, but that's not the point. The point is that my community, my Inngarth, these people with whom I share Weird and Frith, these are people that matter to me, and it doesn't matter to me whether or not they're heathen. Now, we've only got heathens within the tribe, but our folk community is, uh, like you guys have heard me talk about the cat on here before, um, Brennan's Brennan the cat is um, a unique individual and he's awesome and he's one of my dearest friends. I love the guy dearly. And so he comes out and he's very much a part of my community, but he's not necessarily part of the tribe. It's a matter of semantics at best because the dude's there when we do just about anything. Um, and I've got mad respect for the guy. So that's, you got to be okay with that too. Don't feel like you have to build a heathen community just build community just take your time do right by you do right by your family and let it grow up around you slow down and don't feel the push to have to create something it is okay to do things on your own it is okay to do things as a family it is okay to do things solitary and focus on hearth culture and then let things develop as they do you don't want to stagnate of course that's why I say when you get to a comfort level where you are you're good with what you've got going on you're good with your approach you're good with your belief structure then you step out of your comfort zone a little bit and make yourself available you know go to things that are more pagan or heathen oriented uh, host things that are more pagan or heathen oriented and go from there um, for those that are in an area and think there's nobody else there like them uh, I would be willing to bet that you would be surprised at the number of individuals that share similar, if not the same, worldview and approach. So 
startup, you know, startup groups, you know, like my East Texas Heathens thing for, uh, for this particular viewer, you could start up a Nova Scotian, uh, meetup group, either a heathen group or a general pagan group. Uh, th those options are, are there. It takes a little bit of work. It takes some, <laughs> some dedicated planning and the first ones will flop. I, I guarantee it. They will flop because you won't have the word out yet. You won't have the visibility yet. Uh, Facebook is an excellent tool, although it's just a tool. It's just one avenue of getting the word out there. Word of mouth is honestly the best. But if you are looking to kind of build community, then hosting events and increasing the avail availability, uh, your public view, you know, being out there in the eye of the public a little bit more, will draw people to you because people are seeking the same thing that you're seeking. Um, it's a it's a gamble because you don't know who else is in the area. Most people that say that they don't have anyone in the area similar to them, I find are, they either haven't found them yet or they're making assumptions or they really do not have anybody in the area. Some of these rural areas are, it's far more difficult to find people of like mind and like approach. Um, even in, you know, we've got fairly large city hubs around here. Um, a couple of members of my tribe are from like over 100 miles away and they travel to all of our events, but it's worth it. Uh, they traveled to my East Texas Heathens event and then we built a relationship there and eventually they worked into the tribe. And uh, that's just kind of how that happens. It happens organically. So yeah, my advice to you is simple. It's, it's basic. Take your time. Don't rush. Don't feel pressure. That's not what it's about. Live your best life. Be heathen. Just do your thing. Focus on your hearth. Focus on your practices and the way you do things. And as you feel comfortable, increase your visibility. Let people see you and let people come to you. Answer questions, educate, and then as they do, watch them. Pay attention to them. Look for the ones that are actually looking for information, ones that actually have an interest beyond just the academic, beyond just having a conversation because it's something that's a curiosity to them. Look for people who are actually seeking something out. And be choosy, be judgy when you let people in and start sharing on a more intimate level because these people may not be who they seem. First off, you always need to guard your inn and garth. You need to protect it, and you can't do that if you're just opening it up to anyone that comes through. But uh, watch for red flag behaviors, red flag ideologies, like uh, white supremacist kind of things. It pays to educate yourself to a certain extent on some of the rhetoric that goes around. I mean, if you want to be able to watch out and red flag white supremacists or those that are of a more racially charged approach to heathenry, you need to be able to spot some of those things that pop up. Um, you know, the 1488 stuff, the, the pulls to certain Volkish approaches. Um, there, there's some red flags that you can definitely pick up on. And uh, there's more that I could say on it, but it, it, it risks getting into a flame war on here because uh, some, some tracks of heathenry don't consider themselves racist, but uh, are. <laughs> because of what they do and their actual approach to things, but that's not my haul and not my call. I know how my tribe does things and that's what I stick to. So, 
as things develop and as things build over time, it will organically grow into group. And um, I've said this, I, I think a million times on this channel, it's kind of, uh, kind of redundant at this point, but nonetheless, it's still a good and positive approach to it. Take your time, let things develop as they will, and you'll be okay in the long run. So hopefully, Nicole, that helped out with some of that. Uh, do write me back, let me know. And if I need to go into some more detail on some things, I will. Um, hit the internet, search around for groups. And if there aren't any, think about starting up a Facebook group for your area. Be very literal in your naming. You know, name it your community, Heathens. You know, like with mine, it's East Texas Heathens. That way, anybody looking for heathenry can find it. So hopefully that helps. Good luck to you. And to all of you out there, newbies and veterans alike, it's okay to slow down. It really is. It, it'll be all right. Hail to you all. Thank you. May your hearth fires burn bright. All right. Gotta give this a shot. <laughs> I am tired, folks. The schedule's been kicking my butt. It's all right. I'm getting used to it breaking in so running on about three hours of sleep at the moment so you know that's always fun but hey <laughs> it is what it is gotta do what you gotta do so anyway we're gonna go ahead and give it a shot and see if we can't do a little something today so uh let's see updates in general i'm still rocking along with the two job thing it's working out for the time being um kind of finding my stride on it and uh coming out of the training period into kind of on my own and it's working better that way um yeah, I'll get more sleep as I get better at it and faster at it. So all is good. All is good. But if I'm dragging a little bit today, that's why. Anyway, D&D um, &D this weekend was fantastic. We had a blast. Uh, unfortunately, I was down two members of my party. Um, that's just kind of one of those things that happens. And uh, especially around this time of year when everybody's got stuff going on. Uh, it, it can be particularly difficult to get everybody together. And we've got a large group. I've got like seven players uh, with a possible eighth in the wings and uh, getting all of those people together is nigh on impossible sometimes uh, so we've kind of shifted things to where we're going to set one day a month that we're just going to set aside as game day and then i'm going to schedule it and either players can make it or they can't and we're going to continue on with the narrative because i've got enough narrative to last for ages so dms here's a trick for you if you've got characters that uh <sighs> If, if you've got a story that's going to last for quite some time and you know that this campaign is strong enough to do that, um, to keep it going and to keep the momentum up, go ahead and schedule. Uh, go ahead and schedule it and do it. Your players will make it if they can, and if they can't, they just can't. Simple as that. I like to let my players Jaeger each other's characters. Yes, that's a pull from Pacific Rim, and yes, I stole that from Critical Role, but hey, whatever. It works. It's appropriate. The idea here is that if you've got another player who understands the the uh, way that that particular class plays and understands that character well, you can pull those characters back as far as RP stuff goes and just kind of have them quietly in the background and let the remaining players drive the RP elements. And then for combat, you can have a player that understands the character sheet well enough. Uh, they don't have to understand it intimately but well enough to be able to roll basic attacks and things like that. And then you let them control them during combat and you can kind of assist them as they go along. Uh, I did this for my two 
player characters that were missing, their, their PCs were piloted by a couple of my other players that were there. And it went very, very well. Uh, matter of fact, the absentee character got the kill shot on the mini-boss, which was really, <laughs> really funny uh, and really cool. So uh, we got to tell him about the awesome thing that his character got to do. And then when he comes back, he gets to bask in the glory of all of that. And uh, we're going to jump right in there. Um, managing progression is, is a thing. So you got to make sure that if you do have that kind of a scenario come up, that you find filler things and side things for the characters to do, or if, like in this instance, we were in the middle of a dungeon, uh, I knew that the progression on the dungeon wouldn't be enough necessarily uh, for them to miss too terribly much. I think in six hours we progressed four rooms in the dungeon, but I had two trick rooms in there, so they were they spent at least <coughs> a good chunk of the time uh, doing the puzzles, and then there were a couple of combats in there that, that ate up some time. So ultimately, they didn't miss a whole lot. Now on story-heavy settings, it's going to be a bit of a, a catch because they are going to miss that. I highly recommend that you have a player take very good notes because as a DM, you're not going to be able to take the notes that accurately. Uh, you're going to be too busy thinking on your feet and keeping together all of the details that you are spoon-feeding your people. And uh, trying to do that and keep a running narrative uh, written down such that you can translate it to your... Uh, missing party members is going to be difficult. Uh, if your party's cool with it, you can always do an audio recorder and just record your audio, at least set it up by the DM so they get all of the, the exposition and everything. Uh, that one comes in handy and is a good trick. We do a Google Doc that I share out to the entire party and then the party goes through and updates with their notes from the session and between all of them we get a fairly well-rounded recounting of the session that way when we do have a break between sessions everybody can go back and kind of catch up on it and uh, you know go over the notes figure out what they missed or what they have forgotten <laughs> from last session because I think we had like a two-month break between this session and the last and man that was just too long so uh, we're gonna continue rocking with that my mini boss was pretty cool um, I created a homebrew monster that was a, uh, it, it was based on a displacer beast, uh, but it was corrupted by aberrant energies. And so it was this, uh, I called it the corrupted displacer beast for simplicity's sake. And it was this really cool, um, if you've ever seen the displacer beast, it looks kind of like a panther, but it's got two tendrils that come off the back of it with which it can attack. And the displacer beast has an effect where it has a kind of shimmer effect. It looks like it's in two places at the same time, giving disadvantage to uh, any kind of targeted attacks. Uh, area of effects attacks aren't affected, but anything that has to make an attack roll against it is at a disadvantage. Well, what I did was I took this and I twisted it with kind of a Lovecraftian uh, a aberrant approach so it would stutter step and it would shift and it would warp in and out of reality and so looking at it it was very very difficult to hone in on it it's like sh space and time just kind of shifted around it and um, because I've got a larger party I needed to ramp the creature up too so instead of the two tendrils because it's now aberrant um, I gave it four tendrils and I ended up having to nerf it a little bit in combat because I hadn't got to play test it yet. I actually made it too powerful. Um, I, it had resistance to non-magical attacks and had some extra damage on the tendril attacks 
that was just a little bit too much. It would have been fine for like an end boss fight, but for a mini boss kind of midway through the dungeon, I didn't want to burn that much of their reserves. So I scaled it back. And if you're a DM, you guys know, uh, you don't have to use everything that's on the monster's block. You can amend those things on the fly in a session by simply stating, you know, like the, uh, like the tendril attack was, uh, I think it was, I can't even remember what the stat on it was. But anyway, it had the base bludgeoning attack that you got from the tendril attack, and then it also had, because of a stinger on the end of it, uh, an additional 3 damage from the stinger as piercing, or 1d6. And what I did with that was I simply nixed the piercing damage from the, the stinger and just did the bludgeoning damage, because trust me, it was doing enough. It was, it was really close to knocking out. It did knock out one of my players, uh, but it, it would have probably... If I'd played it to its fullest, it could have been a TPK, uh, especially this early in, because they were only level threes. And so, but that's the crazy thing when you get a large group, uh, a CR3 monster, which would be, you know, a nice challenge for uh, a group of that size. And it wasn't a CR3 monster. I forget exactly what a Displacer Beast is. It's a higher DC, a higher CR challenge rating. Um, but anyway, uh, something that is more appropriate for their size is going to be annihilated by a larger group because they're able to deal more damage per round. The effective challenge rating of your party is higher than their average party level. So I think most of those things are play tested at like a group of four and that would be more accurate, more appropriate. Uh, but when you've got those extra players, they're dealing extra damage. The balance issue comes in that when you are dealing damage as the creature, uh, it increases the likelihood of player death if you try to up that ante with the damage. So what I usually do is I max out its life bar so that it can last longer. I may throw in a couple of resistances and I may tweak the damage just a little bit depending on the nature of the party and uh, what they can and can't handle. Um, it, it's, it's a try it as you go thing and then think on your feet especially when you go into a session and if it looks like this thing's going to TPK your party and that's not your goal, uh, if you're trying to drive more story and then you know kill your party, uh, then you may need to pull back a little bit on that in the fly and that's easy. You just adjust a couple of numbers here and there, but stay consistent with it. If you nerf something, uh, keep it nerfed through the rest of the combat. Don't go in and out. The inconsistency can break the combat in a lot of ways. It can definitely break immersion on it. And don't let your players know you're doing it. Just adjust it. I mean, you can talk about it afterwards if you want to, but definitely don't do it in the moment. Don't say, hey, you know, this guy's hitting too hard. I'm going to pull back because that takes away their power because your your party is awesome. It's not, the, it's not an issue with the party themselves. It's an issue with the balance on the creature and what you've designed on it. So you just simply adjust the matrix code and, uh, and, and let them fight the more appropriately leveled monster. Uh, players are not going to have any fun if they're TPK'd uh, on something that really shouldn't have been a TPK. And they're also not going to have fun if you nerf your monster down to a point that it's just not a challenge. needs to be a challenge. There needs to be a risk of a player going down. And if it does, go with it. That's, that's how it goes. Uh, that, gives the, that, that gives the edge that a player could die. And uh, while nobody likes that, uh, it's still a necessary part of it. Otherwise, 
there's no sense of danger going into a combat. And it's okay to throw your party up against something that they need to run away from because they are just so underleveled for it that it, it's going to kill them. Um, do give them the opportunity to escape. Don't drop in some ancient red dragon and then just squash the party. Uh, but, you know, if you do drop in the ancient red dragon, give them an escape route. Let them go. Let them run. Uh, but make them work for it. Make them do those skill checks. Make them, uh, make them roll for it. And then, you know, hurt them if the, the dice don't agree. It's up to you on how much you hurt them and what you do with it. But uh, it gives a very real sense of danger. And it really can add to the importance of an encounter. Uh, so anyway, fun stuff. Um, yeah, we had a great session. I've got a lot of story things that I'm, I'm working on. And it's really, really interesting when you've got a dungeon with some kind of story progression in it and then the party decides to take a long rest in the middle of a dungeon uh, because they have barricaded themselves into a safe spot and they can. And from a player perspective, there's not really any impetus of speed. Um, there's no, no need necessarily to drive because they're still... They may not have information that pertains to a time block or anything like that. And then as a DM, you get to go in and say, okay, well, what does this jump in time do? What does it, how does that change the status of the dungeon? And luckily, uh, we ended on the long rest, so that allows me to go in and adjust the status of my dungeon thereafter. Uh, I've also decided to go ahead and level them up uh, at this point, so they're going to be level 4 going into the rest of the dungeon. I'm power leveling them up to 5 to get them to the more appropriate level of where I wanted to start. started at 2 because I had some newbies, and I wanted to leave the training wheels on for just a little bit uh, before they had to deal with some of the level 3 and level 5 add-on stuff that makes it a little more complicated to uh, to run the character and uh, my more veteran players would have been fine with it but my newbie players they needed the training wheels for a little bit so that's fine we just go ahead and start at a low level and then I power leveled them up to five uh, as is appropriate we use milestone leveling as opposed to experience points it makes it much easier to manage the overall balance and everything within your party and uh, I really enjoy it so anyway this isn't a D&D podcast, so we're going to go ahead and jump into today's subject. All right, here we go. We're live in three, two, one. Let's jam. <laughs> 